Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm former NFL quarterback Gus Farad. I played quarterback 15 years in the NFL. This is my show called Huddle Up with Gus. Each week I team up with my longtime friend Dave Hager, and we talk with guests about how sports shape their lives. Pro athletes, business executives, community leaders, everyone has a story to tell about sports. We invite you to huddle up with Gus. This week in the huddle. Coming from a small town in rural North Carolina, he went on to star at the University of Tennessee. Drafted in the first round by the Washington Redskins, he was involved with Gus in a classic training camp quarterback battle. After five years in the NFL, he went on to serve three terms as a highly popular member of Congress. Please welcome into the huddle, Heath Schuler. All right, so Heath, it's called Huddle Up with Gus, and we appreciate you getting in the huddle with us today. Well, Gus, it's always great to be in your huddle. <laughs> Unfortunately, Heath and I never got to be in the huddle at the same time. Never, not at the same time. It's the only position that doesn't get to do that. Yeah, it's one at a time for you guys. One at a time yeah. for us. So. Keith, where we always start is that moment in your life that you can remember as far back as possible that was influential for you. Was it a parent? Was it a brother? Was it an uncle? Somebody that really put that bug of the love of sports into your life. It would definitely have to be both my parents. They actually volunteered all of their free time for the Swain County Youth Athletic Association. And so they were in charge of um, raising money, uh, helping out with concession stand, getting referees and umpires. And so they handled both baseball and football. So it was kind of born into me that uh, we showed up and every weekend we were, we spent, my brother and I, we spent on the baseball fields. And then, and then as older we got, had a chance to play uh, football. And so it ended up being, um, we didn't know any better. We thought that's what every kid was supposed to do. But uh, there was always that one coach, as you're saying, uh, and it was my high school coach that really kind of showed me the love of the game. Uh, and it started out when I was in the seventh grade. He was one of these coaches, went back to the, the elementary schools and middle schools and said, OK, you know, they're going to identify a guy that can play quarterback. I need a quarterback. I need a running back and identify those positions. And so I'll never forget. He came to PE class and watched us, you know, kind of participate in the class. And, and he come up to me, and said, I really want you to start focusing on you know, uh, football, and, and I know you play all the sports, and I want you to play all the sports, and I really want you to start uh, spending some time with us. So as a seventh grader, I got, uh, sixth and seventh grade, I got a, a chance to really get to know our high school football coach and Coach Boyce Dietz. And, um, and from that point on, he 
not only did he I coach, but once I got into Congress, he actually worked for my team uh, on the congressional staff. You know, one of, yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things is that, and I think people don't understand this today, is that you probably didn't come from a very big city. No. 600 people in the city of Bryson City. Right. And one of the things that, Dave, I always try to tell people, it doesn't, you don't have to go to the, the biggest high school and go get recruited by you. If you play and you love the game, they will find you if you're good. They will. And, you know, I'm sure Bryson City was smaller than Ford City, where I came from. But, um, Heath, what was that like growing up in that small town? Well, there was 88 that graduated in my senior class, and there was always high expectations in sports. Uh, football being at the top of that list. Um, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, we, we won the state championship all three years. And, um, and so expectations were always high. And as they always say on Friday night, the, the, the city kind of, um, the whole county, we were the county school, Swain County. At that time, around 10,000 people in the whole entire county were the North Carolina side, the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Um, uh, we only have the whole county, um, 86% of it's the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. So we only have a very small community, uh, the kind of a tax base, if you will, um, to, and a very small population. So there wasn't a lot to do on Friday nights, and there really is not a lot to do at any point in time. So athletics played a very important role. And so the entire community would come out to watch the games. And so even a, a county of 10,000 people, I mean, we would still have three or four or 5,000 people at a game. Wow. So you mentioned your brother and your brother Benji. Is he younger or older than you? He's a younger brother, so he's a couple of years behind me in school, and he and I ultimately went on and played at Tennessee together. Wow, that, that, that would that'd be interesting. So you played a lot of, most of your sports, he was a little younger, but you played a lot of sports together when you were in. We did. Uh, my dad was always a proponent of both of us moving up in age, and so he would move up in age, and I would move up in age, and so we didn't play as much baseball together or football until actually we got into high school because my dad always made us play with older kids uh, to make us better. So was your dad, uh, you know, you, you mentioned your parents giving you a love of sports. Were they athletes? Yes. Uh, my mom's family is very athletic, and uh, she always tries to take credit for the athleticism in the family. My dad, he was, uh, um, he played softball, played college. He, he didn't have enough money to even make it to college on a college scholarship, and so uh, actually went to work uh, as a postman uh, early on in life, and um, so he was a basketball player. My, my mom's family, very athletic family as well. And we always just participated uh, in athletics and very competitive family, as you could guess. So when you guys would play sports, did your parents, when, when you were younger, did they, like, you know, I left football and I would still go play some softball and do other things. Did you used to go watch your parents play different sports? Yeah, my, so my, my mom played softball and my father played softball. So when we were young, we would actually go with them and we spent a lot of times, my dad would travel around the Southeast and played on at a very high level of softball. So we would travel around the Southeast and watch him on weekends uh, when we were not participating in, in our own uh, sporting activities, he would actually participate. So when we were really young, um, before we started playing uh, you know, T-ball and Little League, uh, we would actually follow my father around and watch him play. 
I mean, that's basketball country down there too. Are you? Did you play basketball in high school? I played, but I was probably the worst basketball player you could ever imagine. You know, Gus, you know how when you throw a football, you kind of flip your wrist out. Well, I would shoot a basketball, and it always went to the right every single time. So I never got – I wasn't a great basketball player, but uh, I could rebound and I could jump. And so they played me at center even though I was only 6'3 at the time. But, um, you know, I played center even, even though the other guys were bigger because I could jump. I was the same way. I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I could get in there and bang it around for a little bit. So. It's all about positioning. It was. Yeah, it, was all, right. it was all about, and I had bony elbows, so like guys never wanted to come. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, you know, Heath, the other thing is, is I remember from you, another part of sporting for you was, was hunting. And, you know, we, we talk a little bit about that, and we're going to get in that in, the, in future shows. But for me, outdoor life, is sporting as well. People think that just being an athlete on a field is sporting, but there's other sporting that you can do that I have many friends that fish, hunt, uh, just do other things outside that are just incredible. And I know that was a big part of your upbringing as well. Yeah, it was. And growing up in, a, in an area like we did, I mean, that was a part of your tradition, your heritage is actually learning how to hunt. And, you know, it was passed down from generation to generation. So my father would take me and we would, he would teach us how to hunt, how to, you know, to navigate through the woods and listen, watch sign. And so as that grew on, we, we kind of got into big game hunting, but ultimately kind of got into more of a gentleman's hunting, if you will, uh, the upland. So uh, quail hunting, grouse hunting, um, especially in the mountains of North Carolina, there's a lot, you have to put a lot of time in and walk a lot of miles before you see a grouse. And it's, it was never about the kill. Uh, it was always about the, the sportsmanship and the time together and camaraderie together with the people you were hunting with. And so I enjoyed that more than, you know, I, I still enjoy a, a good venison or a good uh, quail, but uh, spending time with family and friends is, is, was more important. Now, what kind of big game hunting? So uh, deer hunting, typically. You know, I, I, like to, I like to deer hunt. Um, not as much as I used to. But uh, uh, when I was, when we were with the Redskins, I know Jamie Asher and I, we used to, we spent a lot of time uh, hunting and a couple of times I think we even went before work. So um, there was a couple of tree stands there at Redskins Park that we actually, uh, uh, the guys, the maintenance guys let us in on. So we actually would go out and hunt before, before our meetings. Well, that's what's crazy, right? Is Redskins Park, you could go hunt right beside the park. Oh yeah, we did all the time. Yes. And now you can't even get, I mean, it's just completely overrun with like businesses and roads and, and stuff. It's, it's one of the business, busiest counties in the country. And well, living in Ashburn, Ashburn Village, I would actually take the back way and I never would get on a paved road until I pulled into the parking lot. So I could actually take all the back roads through all the sod fields and uh, come right to Redskin Park. Right, no, and you know, and he should have grown up hunting. I mean, eighty-six percent of the county he was in was national forest. It's right, yeah. So he, the other part, one of the places I vis visited in your county, um, I think it's in your county, is is Dollywood. Oh yeah, just it's on the other side of the mountain. So that's in that's in Tennessee, just across the state line. It is, yes. Oh okay, yeah. That's uh, Annie and I, my wife and I, and we were coming back from college one time when we stopped there for. I don't know why we that was like our spot we drove all day and we stopped in Dollywood and, and we actually got lost on a hike in Dollywood <laughs> well you can get lost pretty easily in the park 
Yeah, we, we, you know, we weren't smart. We were young. We went out. It was right before dark. We're in the mountains and it's dark and we're like, uh-oh. And you, when you have to sign your name in when you start a hike and they came and found us. It was crazy. <laughs> that just shows you it's, it's a little nuts where he grew up. Dolly would stole my list. I, have to, I haven't checked that one off yet. But to meet Dolly Parton or just go to Dollywood? Uh, but actually both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she only has, she's talked about for a lot of things, but she only has a 17-inch waist. No, oh, I didn't know that. Right, that's a fact. That's a fact? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he, so you go through your youth experience. Um, you probably knew where you were going to go to high school. And um, so you get to high school. You play two sports. Uh, what was your high school experience like? I know from ninth grade on, it had to be crazy for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, we. I think so much of it talked about leadership. And we had a great coaching staff. So the coaching staff had been intact for a very long time and a great tradition. So prior to, they had one in 79 uh, and 85 was the two state championships prior to, to our 88, 89 and 90 year. So it was a rich tradition of, of and always participating at a very high level. Well, obviously, growing up in a real small school, 88 graduated my senior class. We had to play all sports. So uh, in the in the fall, it was only football, but um, the winter sport was basketball. I would play basketball through the week, and then on weekends, I would go to wrestling tournaments. And then in the spring, we played both baseball and ran track, which track ultimately that was truly my favorite sport. Um, I, I Track was my all-time favorite. I enjoyed that probably as much as you know, as anything I had ever done, but uh, football was kind of that avenue. What, what were your events? So I was a high jump and hurdler. Wow, wow. So I was a 6'10 high jumper. Wow. Yeah, he could jump. 220 pounds. Heath may have had the biggest calves I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> he could jump. That's impressive. He definitely could jump. So he, you won two state championships in football. Did you? Three. Three. Three, I three, thought. Three, three. Oh. That's wrong, but he said three earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was reading your notes. <laughs> and two in track in the high jump. That's what I was going to ask you. So how many other state championships? Did, were you in baseball so, or just in track? So my senior year, uh, we won it in football. We were runner-ups in baseball. And um, I got my pitching debut, the state championship game. My cousin was the pitcher, hurt his side, and ended up uh, um, pulling him. And I went in and... Gus, the bases was loaded and had a guy that ultimately ended up playing in the majors. And I got up and I said, I'm just going to throw it as hard as I can, can by this guy. It, the ball still is rising as it went over the fence. I never even turned around to look at it. And it was a grand slam and we got beat. That was my pitching debut uh, in baseball. Uh, you should have yeah. did what my dad used to tell me. My dad used to tell me to throw the first one at their head and then throw the next one over the plate. That I should have listened to that. That would have been good advice. <laughs> yeah. So Heath, at what point um, did you start to get uh, feeling that you could probably play at the next level, college football? Um, wh when did you start getting recruited? So we took a t our high school took a team camp to NC State, and so I was going into my sophomore year. And at that point in time, they couldn't offer underclassmen. Um, and so I went to the camp. They thought I was going to be a senior. And so NC State offered me and then quickly had to decline, you know, like uh, we really didn't offer you. So at that point in time, I knew it was, you know, things were going well. And 
I was I was able to throw with all the seniors that were at the camp and um, at that point in time they started coming to games when when um, uh, the season opened up for them to come to and I went to the Gus Purcell quarterback school which was a school that uh, um, was only high school quarterbacks and it was coached by a lot of college coaches and until the NCAA rules changed. So at that point in time, I was uh, going into my sophomore year as well. And so a lot of these college coaches that were coaching there were, you know, you could tell they, they were being extra nice and extra friendly and, uh, you know, can't wait to come watch you play and that kind of stuff. So it kind of started my sophomore year. Well, well, that's great. So who was your first big letter? Like, hey, we really want you uh, to come to our school. So um, I guess, I guess uh, the biggest one that kind of come around early was actually Florida. Um, and Chapel Hill and South Carolina was kind of the, the first three that came, and obviously NC State. Um, and it really wasn't until my uh, start of my senior year, because things have certainly changed now in recruiting. Um, it wasn't until my senior year that Tennessee kind of come into play and Miami came into play and and Notre Dame. So I went to I went to Notre Dame and Miami and Florida and Alabama and Tennessee was my official visits. Well, my dad being a mailman and my mom uh, volunteering her time for the youth program, uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up as a kid. So. Uh, for my parents to go to Notre Dame or to go to Florida or even go to Alabama was going to be a very difficult, both financially and time-wise. So uh, a two-hour drive to Knoxville and the fan base that was there, they threw the ball a lot. Um, unlike Alabama at the time, uh, didn't throw the ball as much. Um, and staying close to home and growing up in the western part of North Carolina, you kind of you got a really close attachment to the state of Tennessee, uh, just because of I was closer there than I was Chapel Hill or NC State. A two-hour drive versus five and a half-hour drive. Yeah, so I'm sure if, if you would have mentioned to Florida that hey, look, my I would love to come here, but my parents can't afford it. I'm sure there would have been a booster or somebody that could have helped out. <laughs> not Florida. <laughs> Notre Dame, maybe not, but Florida, maybe. I was just too naive to, to work that process at the time, I guess. <laughs> Who would have known if you would have went back, like everything you learned in politics, I'm sure you could have went back and struck a nice deal. Oh, yeah. We, it would have been a different story, Gus. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> day like in Knoxville. It, it, I've never been there for a game. It looks amazing, though. Well, it's pretty exciting. They have the Vol Navy, so uh, the stadium is right next to the river. And so a lot of people come to the, the games by, via boat. And so they stop and they get out. They got a big dock there and they go up to uh, walk up to the stadium, which is, you know, a very short distance away. And I guess really the vibe, I mean, you know, 107,000 people in the stands, um, I, there was 97,000 when I played there, uh, and it, you know it's this, it's it's an entire state. I mean, you do have Vandy and you do have Memphis and you have some of the smaller schools, but you know, in theory, I mean, everyone's focused in that whole state's the uh, University of Tennessee. So you have such a, a, a amount of support from not only in East Tennessee but throughout the entire state. So people would come in and the craziest part, they would start coming in for a Saturday game on Thursday. 
So you would start seeing people on Thursday and certainly Friday. It was almost like a game day on campus. What was your what was the first game you played in where you started a game in college? So my first start would have been, uh, I guess, it would have been Southwest Louisiana was, I think, our first opener. Uh, that was the first game that I actually started and played. And then the next week we went to Georgia and played Georgia between the hedges. And they were a top five ranked team. And we come from behind in the fourth quarter and won. So that was kind of the most memorable game my sophomore year. So that, that, that first start you got, were you pretty nervous? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of, I don't know if as much as nervous as I was, there was just so much to think about that I, I didn't pay any attention to the crowd and the crowd noise or the excitement because, as you well know, Gus, I mean, folks in them, what's your task at hand and your responsibilities sometimes just overshadows everything else going around you. Yeah, I, my first start was at Arkansas, and I can remember I was deer in the headlights, and they blitzed. They were literally bringing every linebacker, and I got, took like three shots in a row, and it <laughs> took those three shots to like clear all the cobwebs and then just, it just reminds you to get back in the game and start playing because my line at Tulsa wasn't the same line that Heath had at, at Tennessee. <laughs> I was fortunate. I had a great line at Tennessee, a really great line. I think I, I got sacked more my first start in the NFL than I did my last entire season at Tennessee. <laughs> wow. You're probably wondering what the hell is going on. I thought the NFL I was supposed to. No people did that. I mean, I always <laughs> had the luxury of just kind of doing what I wanted to because we really had a great, very talented offensive line. Yeah, so you set several records at Tennessee. You had an amazing career at Tennessee. What was one of your most memorable moments that you had at playing at Tennessee? Well, there was some a lot of fun games that you know always brings back great memories. Going to Georgia, we had a my sophomore year, um, you know, having a, a top five team ranked on the ropes late in the game, uh, playing in a very tough environment. It was fourth and sixteen, and um, you know, an incomplete pass. They get the ball back, they can kneel it, and they walk away with a victory. A uh, minute and a half left in the game, and I'll never forget going to the sidelines. And it was, you know, there's always that play in practice that you just never can complete, and you just don't feel 100% confident about. Not only as a quarterback, you don't, but the team doesn't feel. Well, ironically enough, it was it was truly the right call because it ultimately became successful. But David Cutcliffe, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, called it was I'll never forget it was called 62 Meyer and uh, it was a deep it was a, a clear route uh, by the inside slot and a deep dig route by the uh, outside receiver and they were in the right protection they dropped and uh, they only rushed three dropped everybody and we kind of caught it in that uh, that deep dig angle for a touch for a, uh, an 18 yard pickup and then I ultimately ended up running the option in for uh, the touchdown a, a few plays later. So it was a big play, big time for us. And it kind of put our uh, our team, you know, in a situation where then we became a top 10 team. What's the hardest uh, SEC road game in your opinion? Florida, without a doubt. I mean, it's very difficult to play in the swamp. Uh, uh, LSU is another one. If you play a night game in LSU, that's another really tough place to play. But I would definitely have to say Florida would be the most challenging to play. Both going there and sometimes the heat, the humidity was tough to overcome. But, you know, the crowd just right there on top of you. They're, they're really energized. 
and they were very they were playing very well at the time. So that that was a very tough place to play. I've been to LSU at night for a game. That it's insane. It's the loudest stadium I've ever. Oh, it is. I mean, that's a that's a crazy place. You know, school early, you can quiet them down early, but if you get you get the a chance to get the crowd in the game, you're, you're it's an uphill battle. They don't drink there. No, we got there on a Thursday. Uh, <laughs> you can imagine our condition on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. So Heath, you've had you had an incredible career. You go to New York for the Heisman. What was that experience like for you to sit in there? I, I know you didn't win it, and you were very deserving of it. What was that whole experience like for you going through that your senior after your senior year? Well, first of all, going you know, go, I got to meet one of my my childhood hero. I, I got to you know, Earl Campbell was the guy that I actually admired. Wearing number thirty four for the Houston Oilers. I mean, I never wanted to play quarterback. I was always wanted to be the tailback, and just so happened that. I end up getting stuck at the position of that, as I say, but I really always wanted to run with the football. And um, so meeting Earl Campbell was truly, I mean, I just couldn't believe it when I got a chance to, to spend some time with him was unbelievable. That was, I wore 34 up until I got into high school. And that's why I wore 21 too, because it literally wasn't a quarterback number. It was more of a tailback number. And I thought at maybe some point they'd put me back at tailback, but I, I started playing quarterback and, it never changed, but uh, that was a great experience going to New York for the very first time. You know, kind of seeing it was very odd though, because at that time it was at the New York, it was Downtown Athletic Club, and I'll never forget the night. I mean, it, so it's a part of a hotel, and we stayed there, and my brother and I froze absolutely to death. It was snowing outside, and it was so cold that we had no heat in our room, and it was a, literally a big hole in the window. And we took the drapes off the window, honestly, we took the drapes down and we covered up with them. It was, he and I were in the same room together and absolutely froze to death. So the seats that I sat in had like, they were put together with duct tape. And so until I guess Disney and all that had all changed, I was really surprised that it was not, the lights made it look a lot better. And you could walk into the Hall of Fame there with all the Heisman, all the, the portraits on the wall and the Heisman Trophy winners. And it was like it had not been opened up for an entire year, that musty old smell. And so that part of it, I was totally blown away that this is not what I thought it would be. The people, though, were incredibly nice and uh, did everything imaginable to make you feel comfortable. But it was a very, very old place. Who are some of the other candidates? I know Charlie Ward won it, but who, who were like yeah, Charlie Ward. So um, uh, David Palmer from Alabama was there. Charlie, with those three of us there that night. Okay. Wow, what an experience! You think like you know you're going to go win the highest award in college football, and your hotel room is freezing. And you being from the South, you're probably like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah, I'm frozen to death. <laughs> and your chairs held together by duct tape. Yeah, well, like not, where are are we in the right place? Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. The yeah. 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 So the next night, actually, University of Tennessee, I guess, picked up the tab and we moved to another hotel. Oh, there you go. There you go. You finally started using some of that politics. Yeah, exactly. But I think that the, uh, Coach Former himself, I think, experienced the same thing in the same hotel room. So I think he was ready to, to move out, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet your parents couldn't have been prouder when you were up yeah. there. They were. And it was a great experience because they got to go and participate and be involved in it. And um, it was to kind of watch your son and now have a, a son that plays and, 
and you're like, wow, I mean, I'm, you have to be very proud of, you know, the accomplishments. And that was, it was, it was awesome. And to represent your, you know, your university and it had only been the second time that uh, someone at Tennessee had, had been invited to the Heisman, uh, I guess, show. A long way from Bryson City. Long way. Yeah, so, you know, um, so then you, you have this amazing college career. You go through all these things. I think there was one part of your college career that we left out, right? Didn't you, didn't your wife, didn't she go to Tennessee as well? She did, actually. We were set up on a blind date when we were in high school. I was a senior in high school, and um, a teacher actually came up to me. She goes, I know you're going to find this very strange. She goes, but I think I just met your future wife. And I'm a senior in high school, and I'm like, there's no way you've met my future wife. I mean, that would be the last thing that I had thought about. So we dated a couple of times when we were in high school, went out several times. She went to another high school. We went out on a blind date and um, obviously very attractive. And, you know, I was like, I'm all in. And and I went off to college. And then my freshman year, I called her on my way back home and we met up and went on a date. And kind of the rest is history. Wow, that's a pretty good story. It's kind of like Andy and I, you know, we've been dating. We've been married 25 years now going in going right from our third year in college on. And um, sometimes when you know, you know, right? You do, absolutely. Uh, So you go through this amazing college career. When did you realize, like, I kind of understand the whole thing about the NFL when they're starting to come look at you, you're going through your pro day. Uh, What was that experience like for you? Well, that was fun. I mean, it was kind of, I didn't, I think the best decision that I made was actually meeting with Tom Condon, who was my agent. And Tom kind of helped preface me both through the workouts and a, a true understanding and, and, and a guy that uh, in some people would think in a, in a very difficult industry, if you will, um, Tom's integrity and character, I mean, you know, still proves true today with, with the conversations that I still have and, uh, you know, just love the guy. I mean, I, I, I owe so much to him and what he was able to, to help provide for me and the knowledge and the understanding of the game um, because I always try to stay focused on where I was at the moment. And that was, you know, college and then having that opportunity to go play, fill the childhood dream. Um, it was tough leaving uh, Tennessee. Um, my brother had, I'd spent his freshman year there. He got to start the Florida game. And so, you know, knowing that I was probably going to get to throw more to my brother, I did complete my last completion to him in college um, didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, having him there and obviously, you know, my future wife was there, we were dating. And, uh, so I was leaving a lot, uh, but to kind of fulfill that childhood dream. And, you know, and then my backup quarterback, at, uh, Jerry Copel was the starter of the next year and first game, second series, he blows his knee out. And so I think it, you know, a lot of people were disappointed at Tennessee that I left early, but I think it was like a, a reminder that that could have very easily have been me and um, not fulfill those dreams and opportunities to play in the league. And, um, you know, growing up, like I said, we didn't, we didn't have a lot growing up. So being able to provide for my family uh, long term was important to me. Uh, did you know, um, at what point did you know you were going to get selected third? Did, did were the Redskins pretty clear about who they they were going to take, or was it? Well, a I, draft know, I didn't know exactly. I mean, the 
I guess you listen to all the analysts. And at that time, I had Tom was my agent. You know, you started to look like you're going to be, you know, first quarterback. So it really wasn't as much as which position, but it would be the, you know, the first quarterback. And the first two teams, you know, had pretty solid quarterbacks at the time. So we felt like it was probably going to be the Redskins um, was was most likely. And then growing up in North Carolina before the Carolina Panthers, that's the team you actually – all the television was that was kind of that childhood team that we all watched. And, you know, I was the I love John Riggins. I love Feisman uh, um, and watching those guys and Art Monk. And then obviously, you know, Gus, we got to play with Daryl Green, which was incredible, you know, to play with. And he was still like a kid. He was I tell my son all the time. He was the only guy that I ever known that after practice of really tough he would like a kid he would like run to his car of course he ran everywhere he went he was just like a kid love daryl and and what he meant to our team so you know I, that was kind of where we looked at it is uh we thought it would be the redskins and um obviously i met norb and cam cameron at the time and um i mean it you know it, it kind of was perfect you know a perfect setting You know, I, I can't, I, you know, I was probably, I was nervous, you know, obviously meeting those guys and um, I had a great, you know, conversation with both of them and I really felt that that was the place I wanted to go. Um, you know, especially, you know, Cam kind of felt, I felt really comfortable with him, maybe more so than I did Norb at the time. And so I wanted to, that, that's where I was hoping to go. So you, um, you, you get picked by the Redskins, and we know how it all works in OTAs and everything, and, and you come in for some of the, the off-season stuff, and then you have this um, where you hold out through um, your, your first training camp. How was that for you? That had to be rough. And, I, I mean, I got to take those reps because you weren't there, and we know how <laughs> yeah. that worked out, but that had to be very hard for you because you love the game, you love the sport, and you're not getting out and be out there with the guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most difficult thing was is I actually remember taking the contract to Charlie Casserly and putting it on his desk and said, you know, here's the contract. I mean, because, you know, at that point in time, you, you knew what the numbers were. So it was never about the money. It was, you know, there was a voidable years clause in it. And what had happened was they started, I guess, with um, the other rounds first and kind of worked their way up. And, you know, Trey was the second round pick. So Trey didn't come into camp till three or four days late. And so he didn't, I went into his office and the, the, my contract was still sitting on his desk and everybody was in camp. It hadn't been open. And so I was like, you know, Hey, it's not my fault. And then I was getting all the blame for it. And it was just like, I don't know why people were blaming me and it wasn't about money. Um, I mean, cause that was irrelevant to me, period. And I guess it was the voidable years that they ultimately had to get the ruling from the NFL. And, you know, I think Tom took criticism, but I think, you know, he, he saw an area that I could void out years. Um, after, after the third year, I could void those years out and renegotiate or go to another team. So that was tough. Yeah, I don't think that there was any – I mean, that was – I mean, they had done that the year before with the other um, um, quarterbacks with uh, Breeze and uh, or, or with uh, uh, Drew. And um, and so I, I really didn't, you know, I didn't think it was an issue. Um, 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Redskins, we just, they just didn't, you know, pick up the ball fast enough to be able to get the contract signed. Well, you know, that's, that's interesting you say that because kind of all that contract dispute with players nowadays, if you're first-round pick, second-round pick, they're almost yes. a little different. And you were yes. one of the first ones to set the tone on how things should start going. And then we get to Sam Bradford later on that just yes. has this mega contract and everything has really changed, you know. Um, and so you were really one of the first ones to really start that whole progression of, of – Getting, I mean, when he signed his contract, it was a really big deal in D.C., and, and um, deservedly so. He's a first-round pick, and you got to go get what you can get. Yeah, and it was tough. I mean, so I, I, you know, I say this. I didn't start off on the right foot with the fans. I didn't start off on the right foot with Charlie Casserly, and, you know, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, here I was, a you know, 20-year-old 20 guy and did not have an idea or clue what was, you know, what I needed to do. Yeah, you should have signed my contract. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah, you should have signed my contract. It would have been a lot easier because there's no clauses or anything. It was just like, here, sign this. And I'm like, okay, sure. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, I'll do it. Um, it was, what was your bonus? 25000 which was pretty good. That's we not, actually paid my wife's uh, college off with that, so that was nice. Awesome. Yeah, so, um, so he, you finally come, come into the Redskins. Um, and you join and you know, you know how Washington is in the media and there I am, uh, I'm quarterback and I'm taking a lot of the reps that you probably should have had. And I was lucky in that regard, you know, and, and it was hard for you. And what did you think of this whole situation where there's a seventh round pick and I, we know everything that happened and we're way too old to have that affect us anymore. But I just, it, I just always wonder, we never really got to sit and talk about how yeah. this uh, affected you. And, and our relationship wasn't what it should have been because of a lot of that situation. Yeah, it was, I mean, you always want to be competitive with one another. And, and I, the one good thing that I'm very thankful that you and I both did is we actually handled the relationship, you know, with one another. We didn't let it, it wasn't out in the public. You know, we, we handled ourselves, I think, with integrity and character. Uh, and we didn't allow the you know, divisiveness between us. I mean, we were very competitive. You wanted to be the starter. I wanted to be the starter. And, and that's what you want. I mean, you want that type of competitive. It made me a better player, made me a better person, made you a better player, made you a better person to be able to do that. Um, you know, it was, I, 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 now that I reflect back on it, I mean, it was not my offense, you know, I mean, and I'm not putting, placing any blame, but 
it was not my offense. Once I got to the West Coast offense with John Gruden with the Raiders, it was like I was at home. I mean, that was truly my thought process. And it sounds odd, but that's, that was the same theories and the same progressions and the same things that it was more about reading the defenses and then alternate instead of, is he open, is he open, is he open, kind of the Don Coriel, Ernie Zampezi, North Turner. It was a much different drop back. At least with the West Coast, I could use my legs to get out of the pocket and move. And I felt like, you know, it was kind of taking – 80% of my game that I used in college was actually my feet and legs and being able to get out of the pocket, kind of taking and stripping me from it. It's like, you know, your your best weapon, your best asset, your best tool, I didn't have it. And so after I look back on it now, and I struggled with that offense, I truly struggled. And, and, and you know, Gus, I think that was your offense. I mean, I think that's the reason why you were successful. That was a lot of the, the similar offenses that you had in college, you know, that, you know, the, the larger, the seven step drop back, the big play action, throw the ball down the field. Um, I was used to that fast break, you know, three step, five step, get the ball out really quickly. And it was a different, it was, it was kind of apples and oranges for me. And, and, and I didn't perform well. And um, I would, I think under normal circumstances, Regard, I don't think it had anything to do with the coaches. It just wasn't my office. Well, I think it, is, it does have something to do with the coaches, though, Heath, because I've been through the situation where I went from that digit system to the West Coast, and I'm not a West Coast quarterback. Yeah. So when you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, coaches don't really care. They said, this is our offense, and we're running it. We're not going off what suits you best. We're going to go run what we run. You know, yes. and I saw an article where you talked about RG3 having similar problems, right? Where that yeah. wasn't his style, what they were trying to do with him there. And you have to yes. fit to what your abilities are. And I felt that way when I watched you play as well, is that, you know, you're trying to do big dropbacks, but your skill set was a lot of running. My skill set was run not running. Right. I yes. did not like running at all, right? And, and I felt like it, as much as you want to say it wasn't the coaches, they have to understand who you are and what you were about and try to work their offense to give you the best chance to be. Yeah. yeah. And so going to, you know, I got hurt early in New Orleans. So I dislocated all five of my toes during the Oakland game in New Orleans. And so it was early in the season, my first year there. Uh, we won the game before, and things were starting to kind of turn around. The team was starting to gel together. Ditka was an awesome coach. Love Mike Ditka. I mean, I have no negative comments. Love Mike Ditka. Beyond belief, one of the greatest uh, leaders I had ever been around. But I stepped up in the pocket. We were playing in Oakland. The baseball stadium was still early in the season, so the baseball stadium was still out. About second base, I stepped up threw the ball uh, to my receiver, and uh, Chester McLaughlin, uh, who's obviously since passed now, uh, fell on me, and then two of my guys fell on, and my heel was in his chest, and my toes were in the ground, and so all that weight just brought all five of my toes on the top of my foot, you know, and um, I tore my plantar fascia, I ruptured the sesamoid bones and I had two surgeries, 11 and a half months on crutches, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny how the media always portrays it. I don't know what my career would have been like if I would have had the chance to 
to finish, especially with Oakland. Once I got there, it was like, I am at home. This is where I, I want to be. Um, but I mean, rehabbed it, uh, got a chance. Gruden calls me up and says, Hey, I want you to come here. I said, coach, I, I, I'm in a cast. I mean, I'm in a cast for two more months. And he says, I'm signing you anyway. And so Gruden signed me with the Raiders and went out there and I learned more about in my area. I learned more about the game in the six months that I was with John Gruden than I had had known my five year prior combined understanding the knowledge of the game. Uh, just an incredible coach um, and uh, truly a guy that uh, loves the game. One of the things that it had to be hard for you, um, just like we all, I mean, I transitioned out of DC as well, but you know, there you are the number one pick this, this country kid from Fort city comes in and is playing and, and they love, you know, the media loves to pit us against each other. And, yep. um, you know, it, and you had to leave the team and then I got to stay for a few more years and I left the team and then Trent took yep. over and it was just like, it's always one after another, but how was and that? Brad, Brad Johnson. <laughs> right, exactly. But how was that experience for you? Like uh, emotionally, I can still, I still have dreams about the skins and things that I went through. Uh, yep. And I just wonder how that was for you. Um, you know, even though it was a battle for us, it wasn't like we were head to head. You know what I mean? It was right. like we were, he would go and I would go. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think truly, I think in life, you have to have obstacles in your life and hurdles to overcome. And it does one of two things. It either, it will make you grow and mature. And which is, I think that's what it did for me. Or it makes you feel bitter. And I don't think that I ever had any bitterness toward the, the situation that happened. I mean, I'm still a Redskins fan. I still love the Redskins. Uh, maybe not as much as I do the uh, New Orleans Saints or the Raiders. But, I mean, I truly have that love for the Skins. And I'm always willing to win. You know, anytime they play Chicago, I mean, anytime they play New York, I want them to win. Um, Dallas, I want them to win. Um, but I mean, it makes us better and, and it certainly prepared me for my next role in life, which ultimately become being in Congress because, you know, man, there are two contact sports, but it prepared me for kind of the negativity and the, and, you know, people not always agree on how you cast a vote, things like that. So it really, to me was, uh, it was, I needed that as a really, cause I was so young. I mean, I was, I was the youngest guy on the team showed up there and, you know, I, I needed a lot of maturity and growth, and it. Uh, there was some tough times at my apartment, all by myself, sitting there and wondering. You know, nobody that you know, you kind of feel like it's hard to connect and communicate with somebody to understand that what you're going through, and and there was some tough, challenging times. But maybe for the person, was there division within the locker room? The guys taking sides? Um, I don't really know if there were. I think that. Um, it just, we kind of, for me personally, I felt like it was just whatever the coaches decided. I don't think that there was a lot of division in the locker room. Maybe there was some, maybe he felt differently about that, and he might have. But um, I feel like we had some good old veterans in the locker room who just wanted yeah. the best guy to play. Yeah, I, I, mean, they, yeah, I mean, we had some great, and I don't think there was really much division. They wanted to win. I mean, we were, you know, prior to Gus and I getting there, the team was 3-13. and 13. You know, um, and so that was, it wasn't like that they were, you know, things were going well and Gus and I came in and we were, you know, we were the reason. I mean, things were going south at that point in time. 
Um, but I think the, the real the real thing is we all wanted to win and across the board, everyone in the locker room. And I think that, you know, the the Timmy Johnsons of the world, the Daryl Greens of the world, the, the Ken Harveys of the world, those guys, Brian Mitchells, those guys. Uh, Gus and I weren't in a situation, you know, to lead quite yet. And, you know, I've said this a thousand times. Gus played better than I did. Gus deserved to be our starter. Um, that was, you know, and so I, I couldn't fault. I never could fault him for doing well. You know, I could only fault myself for not performing the way I felt like I was capable. And far too often, I felt like I tried too hard. And sometimes I was trying too hard, maybe um, not as successful. And I just, you know, so I always felt like that was a, an opportunity for Gus. And, you know, and he played better. I, I can never deny that. And I'm very grateful, that, you know, when Gus came in, we started winning, got us an opportunity to start winning some games. Yeah, I think we learned a lot from each other. Um, I went on to six other teams. He <laughs> <laughs> went on to a few other ones. But I think that whole experience of what we went through together, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, probably helped us grow up a lot. Uh, like he said, we were both young. I was a little older than Heath. He came out of college early. I spent five years in college, so I was a little older. But um, it taught us a lot about who we were and how to deal with things. I, I had started a family. I was dealing with kids and friends and family. Like, you don't understand. Like, when you're in D.C., the family comes out of the woodwork. When you say he. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have a lot of cousins that come out. <laughs> but, um, I think it was just a, a, an unreal experience. And I'm so glad that we finally, after all these years, got to talk and hear each other's story a little bit. And I appreciate everything you said. And, and Heath was just... He was very grateful in everything that happened, and uh, you know it was one of those things where Heath never looked down on anybody else, never said a bad word about anybody else, just went out and worked hard, and, and um, we're all just dealt the cards were dealt. Well, Gus, I had a, 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 I think part of it helped closure for me. So I was in Charlotte. Um, I was senior vice president at Duke Energy, and I was having a meeting at, at a restaurant, and um, with an outside group and. We're talking, and I keep hearing this voice behind me. I'm thinking, I know that voice. And I turn around and look, and it was North Turner. And I was, you know, you always feel like you don't ever hold grudges or you hold something against someone. But he and I had the opportunity after he finished dinner and I finished dinner. I had to, We had an opportunity to, to have a conversation and talk. And I needed that more than probably anything in my life that I needed some resolve there and some, a little bit of, I was probably holding a grudge that I really didn't realize how much that grudge really was, you know? Uh, and I knew that it wasn't him. It was my performance, not hit, not him, but I just knew that there was something that I needed some closure. And so he and I had the most incredible conversation and talk and, you know, he was a new coach and he talked through the things that, you know, that he could have done better. And of course I was saying things that I could have done better. And, and uh, it was a great closure that allowed me to kind of uh, feel good about my conversations with him and something I needed, I needed for a very long time. No, I'm really glad you got that because I was going to say, I've never had that conversation with him. And yeah. that is a closure that I still think about sometimes 
where that would be great to sit down and talk about everything that happened. You know, because at the end of my Redskins career, I had something happen to me that still was talked about everywhere. And instead of him embracing it and helping me through it, yeah. he really pushed me in a, in, a, in a bad direction with it, and I had to deal with it. And I didn't let it affect me like some people would have. But, um, you know, that's a closure I still haven't gotten that would be very helpful. So I'm really, really glad you got that closure with him. Yeah, and it's helpful in life, and I think I probably I should have done a better job of maybe reaching out to him earlier because at the end of that, I, I felt as good about that part of my life after having talked to him. You know, I reached out to him when I was trying to make a decision. Do I go play backup Brett Farr or go compete for the starting job in New Orleans? And I asked him straight up, if you don't think I'm ready to be a starter and I need to go behind Brett, tell me, and that's where I'm going to go sign with the with the Packers after I led the Redskins. And he was like, no, you should go compete for a starting job down in New Orleans and won the starting job there. And, you know, we were in a great place. I mean, it was just one of those things that you, when you get injured early, it makes it difficult. Um, but I'd had that conversation with him, whether or not I could play. But there was other things that we kind of need to clear up. So hopefully you get that opportunity. And if you do, come to Charlotte and I'll buy you dinner. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. I love Charlotte. It's a great town. Uh, good water park there I've been to. Yeah. Um, so now you've, you're out of the NFL. At what point do you see politics in your future? Yeah, it was a bad day. <laughs> so, so we had, so when I was in with the Redskins, well, when I was with the Saints and my brother was getting out of college, he and I had started a, a, a real estate company together. And so I was, I always enjoyed business, loved business. And so we ended up starting it because I didn't know if I'd ever play again. So we started that. And so we started and we ended up selling the company. So we, there was four of us that started the company, my brother and I, and two other guys that we hired. And in 18 months, we had 250 employees and we were the fastest growing real estate company in the Southeast at the time without a merger. It was all organic growth. Um, and so we grew it up and, you know, we were very fortunate that we sold it before the, the, the real estate crash and the financial crash happened. And I had moved from Tennessee, where we had the company, to my wife's hometown in Waynesville, halfway between where we live now and where I grew up. And um, we were raising money for nonprofits and really kind of helping the community out. And I wouldn't say I was retired. I was still doing some development work. But it wasn't to the magnitude that we had been prior. And so we had our kids. And so I was enjoying uh, both kids. And people kept asking me, you ought to run for office. You ought to run for office. And um, I started getting a bunch of calls from Washington, D.C. I mean, people, had, you know, kind of begging me to run, you know, wanted me to, to be involved. And next thing I know, I kept seeing these numbers that would pop up. It'd be kind of funny who it was, but there was a 212 number that popped up on my cell phone. And, of course, I sent it to uh, voicemail, didn't realize that it was uh, Bill Clinton. So, um, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. So I called him back. And typically when you call the members of Congress back or senators back, they would, you know, please hold, let me find, try to find, you know, the congressman or the senator. And, and so they'd give you a little time to kind of think what she's going to say. And so I did that. I called him. Well, lo and behold, he just answers the phone. It was his cell, personal cell phone number. He answered the phone. And we had about an hour of conversation. And after that, I, I really felt let, 
led to serve. I mean, he talked about, you know, this country's given you heat a whole lot, you know, and you never served in, in our military and you should consider serving in Congress. And I, I couldn't deny that. And so I, I, I really felt the, uh, led to, to, to serve our country. And so going to Congress and made the announcement that we was going to do, and I had an uphill battle. I mean, it was a, a 16 year incumbent, a guy who had been in this office for 16 years was a cardinal, which means he is a subcommittee chairman on appropriations. So it was bringing a lot of money back to our community and, and, and had won significantly overwhelmingly had won the, the um, elections prior. And it was an R plus 12 district, which means that I was a Democrat and that means, you know, it was, it was 12 to nothing really yeah. when you uphill, started the game. Uphill climb. And I had an uphill battle. Yeah. So, all right. So you have a conversation with Bill Clinton and everything I've heard about him is that when he talks to you, it just, he just knows how to influence you and hit the right buttons. <laughs> he would have been Vince Lombardi if he was a coach. He is that type of influential person, charismatic, um, you know, very genuine. I mean, and since then, he and I have become very close and got to know him over the years and, and spent a lot of time together and, and someone that I truly consider a friend. Um, he, you know, he is, he is the most charismatic, you know, never forgets a person's name, which is probably one of the most unique, uh, gifts that anyone could have. I mean, I'm talking about people he hadn't seen in decades and he would know, remember their names. It was just incredible. Um, but just kind of learning from, you know, the political angles and strategies which he did and, you know, he was involved in was pretty awesome. So you weren't the first athlete in Congress. You won't be the, you weren't won't be the last, but what is athletics, all the stuff that you've been through your life in athletics and sports, how do you compare that to the politics and, the, and what you went through in that area? Well, I think, you know, the, first let me start with the, the disappointing thing. You know, I really got there, was hoping that it was going to be a team, you know, very similar to the way that we were with all of our you know, every team that we were ever on, we really were all pulling the rope in the same direction. You know, I wanted our country to move in the right direction, you know, and, and, and it didn't, you know, even internally with even your own um, party, you know, there was always controversy or issues or problems and people want to do different things. And I never felt that team oriented except within my office. And we tried, we created that within my office and it was a, it was an incredible work environment. People, I had to beg my folks to go home at night and we'd be in Washington and they wanted to stay there. They truly loved what the work that, which they did. And so we created that. And so then I met with another group called the Blue Dogs, which is the, you know, the more moderate conservative members of the Democratic Party. And so that became my team. That became the people that I associated with. That was the group that I hung out with. That was the ones that we agreed policy-wise. And even if we didn't always agree 100%, we could actually come to common ground. And we worked with our counterparts, which was the Tuesday group, a very the, the, uh, the moderates of the Republican Party. And so collectively, I felt like that group was a part of the team and represented 80% of America and their viewpoints, unfortunately. We were a very small minority within Congress and only the fringe groups and certainly as time had went on and it's still even worse today that the fringe groups were controlling the political parties and there was no way to kind of create a sense of um, 
um, compromise. Compromise was a four-letter word in Washington, and, and if you didn't say, you know, stick to your guns and your way or the highway, then you voted against it. And, and so that was disappointing that there wasn't the whole Congress wasn't had America first. I felt like they still to this day they have their party first, and then they put America second. Um, there's some great people there. Uh, but I say that there's three types of members of Congress. There's the, a third that are there for all the right reasons. I mean, they truly may want to get to their paths to the, the same viewpoints, maybe an alternate path, but they truly are there for the right reason um, on both sides of the aisle. Then there's another third there, there, I think, that are there for greed and power, that are there for their own personal gain. And then I think the other third, it's the only job they could ever hold down. They've never had any other job but to be a politician. And that's the unfortunate ones that, to me, that uh, uh, makes Washington not work the way it actually should in a what I would consider a, a team atmosphere. But that being said, I love the, the folks that I, that I had to deal with on a day-to-day basis, got along with both political sides. When I left Congress, I voted 50% of the time with Democrats and 50% of the time with Republicans. So... I kind of felt like that's where my district was. That's where America was and had a 73% approval rating and decided not to run again. Wow. Wow, that's pretty hard. Um, that's going out on top. Well, it shows you that, you know, you've been through a lot in your life. You weren't a career politician to start with. You went yeah. into that phase. You said, this is enough. I know when to get out. Um, you probably had enough of it. Uh, you probably are getting a little gray, like me yes. from it all. But... Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's an amazing transition that you made from sports to politics. Uh, and now you leave Congress. So I, for five years, I was senior vice president at Duke Energy. So we're, uh, uh, we're the largest uh, public utility in the United States, one of the largest in the world. So uh, handling their external affairs and working with uh, in a corporate environment was, was challenging. I would definitely say that some of those environments are far more political than Washington is, which was very interesting. Um, once again, putting a team together, that's, that's a thing that I really love and enjoy doing. And business has always been a, um, you know, kind of a, a true interest of mine. I mean, I had a car wash business when I was uh, 15 years old and, you know, had eight employees by the time I was a senior in high school. And, so I love business. I love growing businesses. And so after getting kind of that corporate bug and kind of checking that box, you know, I, I, I have a consulting firm now that we go in and we help analyze businesses. We grow businesses. We try to put businesses on the right path. We grow the revenue. We lower their expenditures. We help them with their marketing. We help them with their communications, their external affairs. And so I've hired and a part of our team, we've got a, um, uh, a very large network of former executives uh, that are subject matter experts in multiple different fields. And so we go in and we help companies, um, you know, work with private equity firms. Uh, we help them grow their margins and be successful. So kind of my last question for you, Heath, is so you've been through all this. You, you're doing some incredible things. You've been in real estate business. I mean, you've, you've been in Congress for crying out loud. What would the Heath Shuler of today go back and tell that 20-year-old Heath Shuler in Tennessee before he gets drafted? Oh, wow. You know, I, I mean, I, I never say that. I, I think, I don't want to say that I would have never entered the draft again, but 
I would like to, A, because I think the family and, I mean, I'm, I am now living the greatest time of my life. You know, I'm, I'm less in the spotlight than I've ever been since, you know, since I left uh, high school. Um, I'm more in the background, but I'm having the time of my life now. And if it weren't for all of those different challenges, both challenges of being successful, because I think that that creates its other sense of, uh, of the successes that you have. You have to overcome other hurdles and obstacles. Be humble. Uh, you have to, you know, how to handle and manage yourself uh, accordingly. Because um, as quickly as you've gained it, you can be taken from you. And so, and the and the obstacles of overcoming challenges of playing in the NFL, you know, and not being not living up to expectations or not fulfilling the, the true dreams that I wanted to accomplish. And, and, you know, that to me has put me in a position now that I am having the time of my life with my family. I am the greatest time that I've ever spent is really the last two years of my life. No, that, that is great because I, I always say to myself, if I had to go back and tell that young kid back in the day it was, be a lot smarter with your money and don't go when your daughter turns one, don't go have a big birthday party for her and keep your money in the bank because you're going to want to go on vacation when you turn 50 to somewhere really nice. I went to that party though. You did. It was a good party. It was a good party. It was a good party. So in retrospect. But I agree with everything you're saying, Heath, is like those experiences made, made us who we are today. But, um, you know, there's still some things that I, I know you had some people around you. I had some people around you, but there was just steps that, you know, you wish you had that person in your ears helping you through some of those times. And I'm sure you did too as well. Oh yeah. And we've all had bad advice. I mean, we've all made decisions and we were given bad advice along the way. And, and that's okay because I, I now am hopefully able to recognize those situations now in life. And, you know, Gus, I just want to tell you, you know, thanks for having me on your show, but more importantly than anything, thanks for us connecting. And I think this is going to be a, uh, kind of the another one step one of multiple steps and I'd love to see your family and and see Annie again and and hopefully we'll get the chance to kind of reunite in person but thank you for the person that you were when we was in Washington because I mean we could have been adversarial and kind of butted heads but not one time were we ever in a meeting that either one of us said anything derogatory toward one another or said anything in the in the media that media that was derogatory and so we maintain our composure, we maintain our integrity, and I think that's why you've been successful in life, and I want to thank you for that. Well, no, I appreciate you saying that, and I want to thank you as well for doing all those things, because I had a great sounding board in my wife, and if I ever did say something stupid, she would I'd get home and, and get blasted <laughs> for it. But Annie was great, and, and really keeping me grounded, keeping me humble, um, and I appreciate you coming on. One last little segment we do, Heath, it's called No Huddle. It's our two-minute okay. drill, and Dave blasts a bunch of questions at you, and okay. we want you to answer them without thinking, and just, just get them out. It doesn't take long, and, and then uh, we'll break it from there. So, Dave, why don't you hit Heath with our no huddle? All right, Heath. All right, Dave. Uh, what, what's the situation? Are we back up on the 20-yard line? What's our real two-minute drill? We're just going to win the game. <laughs> <laughs>
You right, got it. So that's our situation. I love it. I'd go with his six ten high jump over the top. That, that would be my <laughs> that'd be my go to if I were yeah, if I could yeah. do that. But he, he could jump over the whole line. Right. Okay. So here we go, Heath. This is called the no huddle. Um, in your opinion, what's the most overhyped thing in sports today? Excuse me. I, the over. What's the most overhyped thing in sports today? Oh my! The most overhyped thing I, I think would be social media. I agree because I hate how they recruit kids today. That's across yeah. the board in all aspects of life. In my all opinion, aspects. But... Social media. <laughs> um, Everyone's got an opinion they can hide behind another name. Oh yeah, anonymous. Uh, they have muscles behind that, but you don't see their face or their name. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Um, biggest pet peeve: honesty. Not people not being honest. What's the, well, he answered this one earlier. What's the loudest stadium you've ever played in? But I'm sure. It would still be, it would still be the swamp in, in Florida. You know, no NFL. Could, it's, it's hard for any NFL team to have the loud volume that you actually have in the SEC. So if you could be one other player, and I think he answered this earlier too, one other player that has ever played any sport, what athlete would that be? Oh, gosh, I guess, I, I mean, another sport, I mean, I guess it has to be A-Rod. I mean, you know, A-Rod, I love the way he played the game in baseball. That would, I mean, as far as on the field stuff, I mean, he played it and played it extremely well. I liked A-Rod. Uh, wasn't necessarily always a Yankees fan, but I like to watch A-Rod. The other one, if it was football, it would have to be uh, um, Earl Campbell. Well, A-Rod had some nice contracts also, just yeah, to, as a cherry on the top. Biggest ones ever. Like two of the largest ever, right? Um, what rule would you change in sports? If you could change one rule, what would that be? If it was on the collegiate level, I would say that you can't offer a, a high school athlete until, they, until the spring of their junior year. And that way, you know, I'm, I've got kids that I'm coaching and been around that were being offered in the eighth and ninth grade, and I see that, and they just lose complete focus of the real task at hand, and that's playing in, in high school and enjoying that process. Uh, to me, that is that's a detriment. The NCAA desperately needs to step in. They need to make some changes in in a lot of different areas, the recruiting service type stuff. The um, there's a bunch of things there that really need to be addressed. So, so he's, you've done all these amazing things in your life. I mean, I'm sure you could write, you're going to write a book someday. I see that the next step. There's going to be a movie about Heath Shuler. Who plays you in a movie? Who plays me in a movie? Oh, my goodness. Um, all right. I guess it's, I, I would say Dennis Taylor, you know, the Allstate guy that played in the, the show, uh, uh, The Unit? Yeah, yeah. That Allstate guy sits in the chair in the street. Dennis Haver. That's who I would say. I, like I think it. he's one of my favorite uh, actors. I just like his calm demeanor, his way he approaches things in, in, the, in the show, The Unit. I don't know if he has a 6'10 high jump, though. Few do. Yeah. Um, last thing, what's your favorite TV show? What are you watching right now? Is it Netflix? What are you watching? Well, the... Um, Oh gosh, I get. I, I do like the unit. That's obviously one. Um, justified. I, 
Really? Definitely my, definitely probably my top justified uh, Netflix show. I can see Heath being a, have you watched Yellowstone yet? Love Yellowstone. I'm a big fan of Yellowstone. Yes. Yeah, I can see Heath being a big fan. I've got that T-Bone. That's a, that's, I think it comes on tonight, actually. Yeah, there you, there you go. Well, Heath, thanks for coming on the show. I uh, loved catching up with you, and hopefully we can stay friends for a long time and stay connected. Tell Annie hello for me. Yeah, tell Nicole, the kids, good luck with Navy and his future career, and, and uh, I can't wait to watch him on TV somewhere. You got it. Thank you. Right. Dave, great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Heath. All right, Heath, take care.